Now, um, as you get ready, boys and girls, you can meet Miss uh, Rhonda in the foyer, and she'll take you out to children's worship if you want to go now. For the rest of us, take out your Bible and take out your sermon notes, and um, we're going to spend some time uh, today looking at God's Word. Last Sunday evening, after Bible st- after our, our quarterly business we walked out, and I was talking to you, and we looked out, and there were fireworks, weren't there? We saw some fireworks, and Betty and I thought, all right, the 49ers won. Who knew there was a Seattle fan with fireworks here in the area? I thought, man, that's one brave Seattle Seahawks fan to shoot it off like that. I was very, I was very disturbed by the time I got home and figured out that the wrong team had won. Um, so I thought, I drove all the way home thinking, ah, that's good and bad because that means no one's going to show up two weeks from today, <laughs> the next Sunday. But now you'll all come, so it doesn't matter, right? So no one's going to miss because of the Super Bowl next weekend. But after we got home, we had a little, we had, we had our grandson uh, and his mom and dad with us. They, we just want the grandson, but they, they come with the, with the package, I guess. But uh, Mason had just celebrated a second birthday earlier this month, and since they were coming down, or coming up rather, to, to spend some time with us last weekend, Barb and I uh, kind of celebrated his birthday with them uh, in our house, and, and Barb had found uh, these, these, these pretty awesome chocolate cupcakes. And Mason has just discovered here at his second birthday the, the, this wonder of chocolate. He loves chocolate, anything chocolate. So here's a picture of him um, on, on Sunday night. He, uh, that's one chocolate cupcake. That's all that was. And most of it was in his mouth at that moment. I mean, you know, it had this big thing of icing and chocolate ice, icing, and then this, it was all down into the cupcake, and, and it was just crammed into his mouth. And it was a lot of fun to watch because his first birthday, he didn't want to touch the cake. And so mom and dad were a little bit concerned that he wouldn't touch and, and very disappointed after spending all this money on this fancy cake for him to dig his face into and he wouldn't have anything to do with it. So this year, it's one little, who knew? It was just one little chocolate cupcake that would do the trick. And so they were really thrilled about that. And that's fun to look at and it's fun to watch. And, and, and we do that because he's now at this point where he's beginning to feed himself. In fact, he doesn't really want you to help him. And so he had no problem with just digging in and doing that. And, and learning to feed yourself is this, is this sign of, of maturity, isn't it, in our lives. But when Mason, he's only two years old now, and that's cute and we like that. But in 14 more years, when he's celebrating his 16th birthday, I would hope that that's not the picture we're showing still. Because if that's still how he's eating, if that's still how he's feeding himself, then it's not a sign of maturity then at that point. For today, this month, it's a good thing. 14 years from now, there needs to be improvement or we're going to say, you got to go get help, kid, because this is not good. This is not the way that we eat in society. And, and so we want, you to, we want you to mature in that because that's part of, part of physical maturity is learning to feed yourself. And the same thing is true about spiritual maturity. It's, that it's also true with how we grow in the Lord. And so part of our spiritual maturity is learning to keep yourself from God. To be able to pick up your Bible and know what to do with it. To know how to, how to keep yourself with it. That's, that's one of the marks of a 
spiritual believer. One of our goals, one of my goals, is that, that Brea Baptist Church will develop and does develop um, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Well, you cannot ever become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ if you never know how to feed yourself. And so we're going to talk about that today. So, so, so we've, we started a series. We're, we're now in the third week of, of six weeks that I've called Begin. It's the first steps to a journey of faith. Two weeks ago, we, we looked at real faith, what real faith is. And then last Sunday, we talked about effective prayer. And today, we're talking about use your Bible. How is it that you use your Bible? How can you use this, this Bible that most of you have sitting on your lap right now? How do you use your Bible? So, let me ask you a question. And, and the question would be, if God sent you, and we're going to bring this into the 21st century here, if God sent you a text this morning, would you read it? Would you read it if God sent you a text? Barb sent me a text this morning, and because it was Barb sending it to me, because I don't usually get texts, especially on a Sunday morning, I made sure I read it. I thought, oh, wow, I got a text coming. It was Barb's, my wife. And so I read that. If God sent you a text on your, on your smartphone, would you read it? And the answer would be, sure you would, yes. Who's going to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to read text that God would send me? You would, you would pick up your phone, and I don't even have my phone in my pocket anymore today, but, but you, would, you, would, you would say, Pastor, I'm sorry, you can, you can talk if you want to, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting on my phone right now, even in, in worship service, and I'm going to read this because God just sent me a text. And, and so we, we have to understand God has sent us a text. It's this book. It's his word. It's the Bible. He has spoken to us. He said, this is what I want to tell you today. This is what I want you to know. And he gives us this. And so we're going to talk about how do we feed ourselves from God's word. Because here's the reality. Even though I, I, I said that, that, you know, growth is, is like my grandson Mason picking up this, this cupcake and, and trying to feed himself and getting more of it on him and on our, and our table than, than actually in his mouth. Um, I want to change that just a little bit. Um, growing in spiritual maturity is not, is not just eating. It really is more like learning to cook, if you will. It's learning to cook um, because there's more than just eating involved. There is preparation in order to be able to feed yourself. You have to learn how to prepare. Um, how many of you know how to cook? And you say, I'm pretty good at it. That's not me. That's not me. I mean, I, I can do pretty good with a bowl of Cheerios and instant oatmeal. But it's got to be instant oatmeal. Preferably out of the little packet. I can do that one pretty good now. But it took me a while to figure that one out. But I am not, Barb, Barb can attest to this, I don't cook. I'm not, I, I can, but I can follow directions a little bit, which was a good thing because there were times when, we had three kids at home, and they were little, and Barb might be sick, or she might still be out. Well, she wasn't out working, so it was probably just the time she was sick, or just said she was sick, so that I would have to do something about it. I'm not sure. And, uh, and, and so at some point along the way, I kind of figured out how you take those little boxes of, of mac and cheese and make them into something so, somewhat edible. 
And it kind of, you know, kept our kids from starving to death and me having to explain to the authorities, you know, I really didn't try to hurt them, I just can't cook. And it's not my fault they starved to death. It was barbs for being sick. You know, that, so it, it, it saved me from a life of institutions, you know, that I don't want to go to and spend much time in. Um, and so that's important. But, but what I want you to understand today is that if you want to grow to spiritual maturity, you can't do it without your Bible. You can't get there without the Bible. You can't get there without knowing how to use it. And so you have to learn to feed yourself from God's word if you want to be mature. Our scripture passage today is Matthew 4.4. And Jesus said it this way. He said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what I want you to, I want, what I want to do today is teach you how to feed on God's word for yourself. And that means there's some preparation that we're going to get to. We're going to, we're going to start to deal with that. And, and so, um, and so it's, it's, this, it's this way, you know, you're daily growing in your faith and, and not waiting until Sunday to hear from God, that, that you come in uh, understanding that you can go home and hear from God every day this week. That way, when you show up again next Sunday morning, you know what happens? You come in next Sunday morning, you're not starving to death, you are, are, you are prepared to hear what God has for you next Sunday morning. It, it's my contention that a lot of Christians uh, come to church and they are not prepared to hear God's word because they've starved themselves all week. They thought, all i got to do is, is show up on Sunday morning. The pastor's going to talk forever anyway, and so I'll, I'll get all I need that will help get through. And they're so hungry that they don't get anything much out of what happens on Sunday morning in the worship really, really hungry, and you find it down deep, uh, it doesn't matter how good the meal is, you just start it down, you don't taste it at all. And that's what happens to a lot of us. A lot of us show up on Sunday morning, we're so starved that we just start it down, and we won't let it be successful. But if I spend my time getting ready all during the week, this is God. when I get here, I'm spiritually prepared to hear I'm spiritually prepared to what he has for me. In the same way, and that's the goal of spiritual maturity, um, and that's what we're going to talk about. That. So, before we dive in into that, I want to give you four decisions that you need to make if you're going to grow in spiritual maturity. Here's the, some of that preparation side now. Uh, how do I prepare so that I can eat? So let's look at four decisions real quickly here about spiritual maturity. The first decision you have to do is you have to decide that I need to accept the Bible as my authority. I need to accept the Bible as my my authority. Um, it's, it's like building something without looking at the directions. Uh, last Saturday, a week ago, last Saturday, my son-in-law Mark and I were putting together this little kind of little type barbecue for promotion, um, and, and we decided we instructions. Apparently, we did at, at certain points in there. You know, and, and so there's times, you know, we, we're, we're, we're men, we can do this. It's a little plastic barbecue, how hard can it be? It can be really hard. Anyway, um, but a lot of us kind of live our life that way, don't we? We, we get this mindset of, of, of that I don't need help, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an adult, I, I can do this on my own, 
And and so we try this. We think we got it handled, and that we're and and what happens is that we're just a disaster waiting to happen. Life is going to happen to us, and we're not going to have any clue what it is that we're supposed to do or what God's going to do for us. And that's why grow the spirit with spiritual maturity. We have to accept that the Bible is our authority. It's God's way of showing us how to live. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. I want you to look at this. If you're in Bible study today, we use these same verses in Bible study. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. There are a lot of people who claim to have a, to be an authority. There are a lot of things and people that will claim that. And, and what happens is that a lot of Christians even buy into that. They will say, you know what, I don't, I don't claim the Bible is my authority, but there's this guy on TV, and I think he's pretty authoritative, and I like what he says, and so I'll let him be my authority. And I just base my life on what this guy on TV says. Or, or even a preacher behind the pulpit in the church, I'll just let them be the authority, and I'll build my life on what they say. And, and as, as much as I try to stay true to God's word, you don't need to do that. You don't need to say, Pastor Carol, you're my own authority in my spiritual life. Because I'm not. I'm your shepherd. I just, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you know where to be. But God's word is your authority. It is the Bible. It is, you know, I listen to God's word. I, I know God's word. I digest the word. That's what you need to do. That that, that becomes our authority is God's word. Um, and so a person will never grow to spiritual maturity, maturity in the faith without accepting the Bible as the authority for their lives. Second decision you have to make is this, that I need to understand the goal of studying the Bible. Not only is it my authority, but I have to understand what the goal of studying it is. Why am I doing this? Why would I study God's word? Where am I trying to get to when I do that? What's the goal? What's the end game that God has in mind? James 1, 22 through 25 um, the half-brother of Jesus dealt with that. He says in verse 22 and following, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, will be blessed in what he does. And so he says, here's the end game. This is what God wants. The goal of the Bible is not simply to increase our knowledge. It is to change our lives. God says, I'm not just giving you a bunch of facts. He said, I want your life to change. I want you to reflect my glory. I want you to live in holiness. I want you to, to be perfect in all your ways. And you can't do that without spending time and knowing how to study God's Word. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul said, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I, I was talking to a, to a guy one time about coming to Financial Peace University, and, and I was telling him, the benefits of it and what, what we would cover in Financial Peace University. And he said, oh, I know all that stuff already. He said, I don't need to do that. I already know it. But the problem was 
he might have known it, but he wasn't doing it because his life was a shamble financially and, and it, was, it was spilling over into his, into his family life. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't see the benefit. He wouldn't see the goal that, that, that it was in mind, that, we would learn, that he would learn God's principles and then put them into practice, that he needed to do that. So, so um, what's the problem? And the problem is that just knowing stuff doesn't change our lives. It's acting on what we know that changes our lives. A lot of Christians who know a lot of stuff that don't do any of it who know a lot of facts from the Bible, but don't let any of them impact their lives. Don't be that Christian. Be the believer, be the Christian who studies God's Word and puts it into practice in your life. It will change you to be who God wants you to be. Third decision that you have to make is that I need to decide to grow spiritually. That's a decision. I will grow spiritually when I decide to grow spiritually. So I have to decide to grow spiritually. And if you want to grow spiritually, then you have to take responsibility for it. Got that? Nobody can make you. You have to take responsibility for that. Too many Christians blame others for the fact that they aren't growing. They blame their spouse. They blame their church. They blame their pastor. They blame their Sunday school teacher. They blame society. They blame the president. They blame, it doesn't matter. They blame everybody else, but it's their responsibility. If they're not growing, if you're not growing, it's because you're not doing what you need to do. You're not taking responsibility for that. First Timothy 4, 7, Paul, still talking to young Timothy, said, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Timothy, you take responsibility I don't care what else you're hearing. I don't care the myths you're hearing or all the other nonsense you're hearing. You take responsibility to grow spiritually. It's your life, and you've got to decide what you're going to do with it. See, there's a difference between reading the Bible in a... Uh, excuse me. I'll, I'll get, I don't want to get there just yet. If you don't assume responsibility... Friends, you never will reap response of maturity in your Christian walk. You just won't get there. And that's why getting into God's Word and studying for yourself is so important. It's one of the marks of a person who's serious about the things of God. Acts 17.11. I want you to notice this verse in your notes or your Bible. Now the Bereans. Underline that word Bereans in your Bible or in your notes. Ever wonder where the name of our church comes from? Maria Baptist Church. I can't tell you how many Christians I talk to who say, Berea? What kind of name is that? Are you sure it's not Brea? Like in the tar pits down in LA? I can't tell you, Christians who call us Brea Baptist Church. I'm thinking, there's no tar pits here with dinosaurs stuck in them. Well, maybe a few, but, but there's not too many of them. We're not Brea, we're Berea. It was a city in what is now Greece. Paul went there and, and on, his, on his second missionary journey, and, and that's He says, now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day. Underline, examine the scriptures every day to see 
if what Paul said was true. We are Bereans. We're members of Berea Baptist Church. We ought to at least live up to our heritage, our namesake. We ought to be examining the scriptures every day to see if what Pastor Carroll says is true. Or to see if that guy or that lady you listen to on the radio or on TV when you decide not to come here on Sunday. There's one type of Bible that doesn't do any good. Only one. I know there's all kinds of arguments and discussions and and endless amounts of debate and talk and chatter about what's the right Bible to read and all that kind of stuff. There's only one Bible that doesn't do any good that I know of. You know what it is? A closed one. It's closed. It's not doing you any good. You got to open it. You got to use it. Now in 2 Timothy 2:15, Paul said, "Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth." Because there is this huge difference between reading the Bible in a quiet time and studying the Bible. Let me get you this again. A lot of times we say, well, I'm, I'm having my quiet time. That's, that's not studying. You know what the difference is? Quiet time is not necessarily going to do anything. Study, you're going to do something. You're going to write something down. You're going to you're going to take notes. You're going to underline in your Bible. You're going to just mark it up, and you're going to you're going to write things on a pad or in a journal or or wherever you're going to write them at, or you're going to put them in your computer. However, you're going to do that. So 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 quiet time is what I'm talking about when I say you got to read through the Bible. You got to read you know a, a section section, or you got to read at least one chapter of Proverbs a day. Um, in the morning or in the evening or at night before you go to bed, you ought to read a chapter. And, and that might take five minutes or ten minutes or fifteen or twenty minutes, whatever amount of time you set aside. But quiet time is something you do every day. Bible study doesn't have to, to be a, a doesn't have to happen every day. A Bible study is where you're going to study for a longer period of time, however. Where you're going to we're going to set aside some time and you're going to start to take some notes. So um, you're going to right now, if you're ever doing this, that you just kind of shoot maybe for once a week in that. Quiet time every day. Take out your pencil, your pen, and your notebook, uh, or your journal, and you and you take out your Bible, and you say, all right, now, God, for, for maybe an hour here, or for half an hour, we're going to get real serious about this. I'm going to start looking at what, what it is you want me to do. So, just you know, the secret to a good Bible study, I'll tell you, you light up You can you can open God's Word and you start to ask, you know, why? Ask those questions and look at that and start to answer those questions. 
I've got who you're talking to, why you say this, what's supposed to happen, uh, what are you telling me to do? You start putting those things down and answering those questions. And, and the more questions you ask, the more you learn about the text. Um, and, and you ask, you know, those questions, and you keep asking those questions, and the Bible begins to open up to you in an amazing way, and, and you come and grow, and start thinking in your Christian experience, and your Christian walk. Um, there's a lot of different kinds of Bible studies, uh, ways that you can do them. Um, I don't know how many, For example, uh, maybe maybe you want to do a character study. You want to look at different characters in the Bible. You want to look at uh, you know, Paul or John or Moses or David. Verses to deal with them. To deal with them, or maybe the theme of the Bible. So the, the, the overriding theme of the whole Bible is redemption. So maybe you say, well, I want to I want to look at that. And I'm going to tell you, that's a big one because you got redemption through Revelation. So every book of the Bible, you find that, that, that scarlet thread of redemption. But you can do that with all kinds of things. You can look at, 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 at the doctrine of studies and looking at, at salvation and, and whatever it might be. Um, and, uh, you know, you can look just at a book of the Bible. I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks or the next month just looking at one book of the Bible, and you spend time in that one book. You say, whatever's there, that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to look at and, and see what God is saying. But I, but I want to give you one today for you to start with. Um, it's the devotional method. In your, in your sermon notes, you should have, or in your bulletin, you should have a, a kind of a thing that looks like this. It's kind of a kind of brown or some color brown. Um, uh, days, whatever it is. We'll take that out, and we're going to kind of shift over to here uh, for your sermon notes at this point, and we're going to fill in some blanks on that, um, because I want to share with you uh, the devotional method of Bible study. Uh, so you're going to say, what is the devotional method? Well, I think it's the simplest way to study God's Word, because uh, you don't have to have a whole lot of help. In fact, you've got to check your Bible, you're in good shape. Uh, you still want to write some things down, uh, but you don't have to have, by, by other things, I mean, you don't have to have commentaries, you don't have to have Bible dictionaries and, and all those types of things. It's not bad to have them, but you don't have to have them to do a devotional Bible study. Um, you, just, you just need your Bible. So as you look at this, at this piece of paper, and I, I gave it to you so that you can hopefully keep it in your in your Bible with you um, and as you learn how to do this, um, let's get the three steps that are necessary. Step number one uh, is to pray. It is to pray. Uh, you, you, you find yourself saying, um, you know what, God, um, I want to come before you today and, and I don't want to underestimate the power of your word, but I also don't want to underestimate the power of asking you to open my eyes before your word. Um, and so you pray something like, God, open my eyes as I spend some time in your word here uh, and, and help me see what it is that you want me to see. Help me to hear what it is that you want to say to me. I want to be open, God. I want to be teachable before you. I want you to teach me in Jesus' name. Amen. The psalmist said it this way. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things. 
God, I'm going to open your Help me through your spirit to see what it is that you need to see. Help me to understand what it is that you need to understand. Help me to order my life the way that you would have me to order my life. And so you ask God to do it with you as you open his word and you expect that he's going to speak to you. And you know what's going to happen when you come before him with that type of an openness, you're going to find an amazing thing. Secondly, the second step after you pray is to meditate. To meditate. Now, now let me explain what meditation isn't. Meditation is not getting into some weird, you know, lotus position type of thing. Uh, that's not that's not the kind of meditation that the Bible is talking about. Um, and it's not about just contemplating the universe. That's that's not that's not what the scriptures are talking about. Meditation in scripture is is taking some time to serious do some serious thinking. It is serious thinking. It is it is giving serious thought to a particular subject. He's saying, I'm not just going to gloss over this. I'm just going to park right here, and I want to I want to know what it is that you're saying about this. I want to know what it is that this verse is trying to tell me. In Psalm chapter one, verses one and two, we read, "Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night." And so the Bible tells us to meditate on the Word of God. So, question not the how do I do that? Another question for you: How many of you have ever? Worry. Good reason. Have you ever worried? I could ask how many of your lines that I would do that. Because if we're all on the right? What is worry? What is worrying? Worrying is the practice of or the 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 just spending time thinking about something, isn't it? You just let it roll over and over and over in your mind. Trouble is, worry, you're worrying about the disaster. Oh, man, this is going to happen. You know, um, the Presbyterians are going to be in line for us, not before us. You know, um, I just know it. And it just rolls over and over and over and over and over in your mind. And, and the, you know, that's not a good thing to worry but, but it is a good thing in the sense that, that every good Baptist who is a worrier is, is well prepared then to become a meditator. Because you do exactly the same thing, but in a positive context. Now you're going to let God's word roll over and over and over in your mind. That's what, that's what it is. The Bible describes meditation uh, as a cow chewing its cup. You say, what? You know, when a cow eats, it goes and it, and, and it stays out in the field and it gets, it's, it's munching down on some grass. And, it's, and uh, what does it do? It doesn't just eat it and, and swallow it and digest it and say, that's good, I'm, I'm done. He, the cow eats it and then it goes and and maybe lays down or sits around and, uh, and, and after it's eaten and it's swallowed and and those digestive juices start a little bit, um, it regurgitates it. That's, that's a nice way of saying it throws it. But I didn't want to say that. So it regurgitates it. 
And then it eats it again. It chews it some more because those those digestive juices have unleashed some nutrients, and so it just, it goes over that. And it might go over that two, three, four times. And what they're doing is that cow is, is designed and built to get every bit of nutrient out of the grass that it's eating before it's finished with that grass. And that's what meditation does. Meditation says, I take God's word in, but I don't just I don't just read through it real fast, shut my Bible and say, well, that's done. I'm on my way out of here. Uh, that's, that makes you quiet time, perhaps. And hopefully it's a little more than that, too. But it says, I am intentionally going to take some time to let this come back up in my life. Whether it's today or whether it's a week or once. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend some time rethinking of that and letting the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and to my life so that I'll know what it is that God wants to do. Because I want every bit of nourishment out of God's Word that God has for me. And so meditation is really thought digestion, if you will. It's just saying, here are my thoughts, God, um, based on your word, and I want to make sure that they are that I'm getting what you want me to do. So let me share with you. As you turn, as you turn your sermon, or this, this page over, rather, uh, four ways to meditate on the top of that second side. And these are very quick, so you need to know them to be able to do that. The first thing you want to do when you meditate, after you've read that passage of Scripture, is that you begin to picture it. Picture it in your mind. Picture, picture what's going on. Picture the events that are happening. Uh, if, you, if you have maps, if you looked at, uh, if you looked at, at pictures of the Holy Land, or if you've been to the Holy Land, whatever it is, uh, you you picture that. You picture uh, Jesus, you know, five thousand people plus the men and plus their wives and their and the kids as he feeds the five thousand. Um, you know, and you, you picture those kinds of things, and you just get that picture in your mind, that mental picture. Um, you think about what it must have looked like, what it probably smelled like when Jesus performed the miracle or walked on water. Um, you know, what was it like? And that helps you keep it cemented in your mind. Secondly, you repeat it. You need to repeat it. You picture it, and then you repeat it. Um, and, and that's good uh, if it's if it's not a story, but but rather it's a truth. Sometimes um, you, you do that to emphasize different words in the passage. Uh, Philippians 4.13 I gave you as an example. Um, and it just says, I can do everything that you strengthens me. It gives me strength. Uh, Philippians 4.13. Well, what if I decide to emphasize certain words? I can do everything. So it's not... I know we all can, but I can. I can do this because God's going to give me strength. Or I can. This is something that I that really can happen. I can. Or I can. Uh, I can do everything. I can. I can do everything through Him. Not me doing it. It's God. I can do it through Him. Who gives? what I need. And what does it give me? It gives me strength. And so you take that passage, especially if it's, a, if it's a, a, a truth, and you just begin to emphasize the words. You repeat them over and over and give them different emphasis. And as you emphasize it, don't just go on the next one like I just did. Just stop and you think about, well, what does that mean? That I, or that I can. You know, and, and you stop and you think about what that means. Maybe I'm going to emphasize one word a day. And I'm going to spend the rest of the day thinking about what the implications are for that one word. And then second, or thirdly, rather, then you personalize it. You take that passage of Scripture and you personalize it. And this is where you're going to insert your name. Okay? It does help to know what your name is to be able to do this. But you insert your name into the passage. 
John 3.16 is probably one of the best examples of that. For God so loved the world, He gave His one only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Well, what if I put my name in there? For God so loved Carol that He gave Carol His one and only Son, that if Carol would believe in Him, Carol would not perish, but Carol would then have eternal life. And you put your name in there. Now, that doesn't work with every passage. Um, you know, there are some passages maybe where you can't put your name in there uh, quite as easily. Uh, in the beginning, Carol created the heavens and the earth doesn't work. Okay, so, so, but there are a lot of passages where you put your name in like that. It makes a lot of sense. It gives you a whole different perspective of what it is that you're looking at. Maybe one day you just want to personalize it. Again. And then you pray it. As you, as you meditate, you pray it. That's where you turn the passage into a form of prayer. Um, God, um, I, I, I'm amazed, I'm blown away that you love me so much. So that I could have my sins. And so, so, so why is meditating on Scripture so important? Because God promises to make a person who meditates on God's Word successful. You want to grow the spiritual spirit? You want to know how to walk in the spiritual spirit? You meditate. Joshua 1.8, this is the promise. Do not let this book of the law depart from you. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Take God's word on that. If I'll do what He says, then I'm going to succeed in what He wants me to do. Now, one more, one more step. The third step in in this in the Bible study is then to apply it. Step back to God has an application. John 13:17. Jesus said, "Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do what? If you do them." God's going to bless you if you do them, Jesus said. He doesn't say you'll be blessed if you manage to stay awake for half an hour during the sermon on Sunday morning. He doesn't say that you will be blessed if you know a lot of Bible facts and trivia. He says you will be blessed if you do what the Bible tells you to do. If you do those things that God is revealing to you, then you will be blessed. And those are the words of Jesus, not mine. Those are his. You can take it up with him. So this is, this is really where the rubber meets the road. It doesn't matter how much we know if we don't do anything with what we know. You've got to be able to do something. So how do you apply the scriptures in your Bible study? Uh, you, just, you just have to get to that point where you do. Uh, Philippians 2.14 says, Do everything without complaining or arguing. Let me give you an example using this verse. How do you apply that? I can look at this scripture, Philippians 2.14, and, and I can just read it and say, well, that's nice, praise the Lord. And then go on. And, you know, nine times out of ten, maybe, maybe 99 times out of 100, most Christians, when they're reading through, would just say, do everything without complaining or arguing. God bless you. Let's move on to the next verse. What if I decided to look at it a little differently in my meditation? I said, you know, God, I need to apply that. So I could say, God, I need to stop right there. Am I a complainer? 
do I argue unnecessarily, God? Is that, what you're, is that what I need to know? Is that what I need to look at today? And so, God, I tell you what I'm going to do, what I think I need to do, based on what I'm learning and what I'm spending time with you about today. Is I'm going to watch myself this week. You know what I'm going to do, God? I'm going to note down every time I complain. If I, if I hear myself complaining, I'm going to write it down. This is what I was doing. And every time I feel like arguing with someone, God, I'm going to stop, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to remind myself of this verse. And you know what you've just done? Now you've started to apply it. You've moved from just reading it to applying it. You're saying, God, this is what I want to do with your word in my life. And here's God's desire for you to share this with you. That you get into God's word. And that you let God's word get into you. That's that step of using the Bible, of using your Bible to move toward where God wants you to be as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.